0: Find your place in your Bible this morning, if you will, at the Gospel of John, and you can turn to any place at this moment in the Gospel of John. We're going to land in John 11. That's where we're going to end this message in a little while, Uh, but we're going to go through a number of passages of Scripture over these next few minutes, all of which come out of the Gospel of John. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about the Gospel writer John himself. I want you to understand a little bit of the background of who he is and why he wrote this gospel. As you may know, John was one of the original 12 apostles of Christ. He was one of the original 12 that was chosen by Jesus to go along with Jesus and to be a part and to follow Jesus uh, as he was working and ministering in this world. Uh, That means that John would have seen the miracles that Jesus performed. It means that John would have heard the things that Jesus had to teach. It would, have mean, it would mean that John would have experienced all of these things that were going on around Christ that we would read in all four of the gospel stories. And so John was an eyewitness to Jesus. John was one who was with Jesus. In addition to being one of the original 12, there's an inner group amongst the 12 where John was a part, Peter, James, and John, you often see the three of them mentioned together. There was that inner core of the 12, and that inner core, those three, Peter, James, and John, were also privileged to see some additional things about the life of Jesus that the others did not get to see. The other nine did not get to see. And so John is somebody that we want to hear from today because John saw, heard, handled, touched, was a part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's something interesting about John that you might not know. John is the only one of the original 12 that did not die a martyr's death. Of course, Judas died by suicide. He took his own life uh, as the betrayer. Uh, But the remaining 11 All but John died as martyrs. We have that record in the New Testament or we have it in church history. In the ministry of carrying out the gospel, taking the good news to the ends of the earth, these men gave their lives in the service of Jesus Christ and they were martyred for their faith except for the gospel writer John. John lived all the way to the end of the first century. Uh, most of the other uh, of the original 12 were gone in the middle, of the, uh, of the middle of the first century, but John lived all the way to the end of the first century. We know something about John's life, uh, specifically, that at the end of his life, when he's probably in his late 80s or early 90s, he's banished to the Isle of Patmos. He'd been ministering in Ephesus. He'd been preaching the gospel. He'd been teaching the way of Christ. He'd been sharing the love of Christ. And for some reason that rankled the the Roman government and they banished him to the Isle of Patmos. Patmos is an island in the Aegean Sea. It's the place where uh, Rome would send the criminals or where they would send their political prisoners. It's obviously surrounded by water so they couldn't escape and they had to live on this island. John lived on that island for a time in a cave and he had to forage for his own food. Can you imagine an elderly man having to go out amongst all these other criminals and political prisoners and having to look for his own food to be able to sustain his life? But it was while he was on that island that God gave him the revelation, the last book of the Bible. He's an old man, And God comes and gives him this revelation about the end of this age and the beginning of a new age, things that are still yet to occur that are recorded for us at the end of our Bibles in the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. John was eventually released from the Isle of Patmos. He went back to Ephesus. He continued his ministry in Ephesus. And tradition says that he died at 100 years of age. We can't prove that, that he was actually 100, but probably around 100 years of age when he died. Now, here's what this all means to you everything that John wrote that's in the Bible, the gospel, the three letters that he wrote, first, second, and third John, and the revelation, all of them were written when he was somewhere between the age of 85 and 100 years of age. Think about that. He is writing this gospel that we're about to look at some 40 or more years past the writing of the other three gospels. Uh, John has lived all the way toward the end of the first century, and God inspires him to sit down and give his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And when John does that, he does that in a very unique way. The other three gospels are called synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You hear the word synopsis in that word, don't you? They follow a timeline that take you from the birth of Jesus to his ascension. And they tell the similar story. They follow the same similar timeline, one after the other. As a matter of fact, you read those three gospels and you find that a lot of events are recorded in two of them or in three of them. A lot of the miracles are recorded in two of them or in three of them. And you collate those gospels together and what you get is a full picture of what was going on in Jesus' life and in the ministry of Jesus Christ in the synoptic gospels. But all of those were written by the middle of the first century. Now, some 40 or so years later, God moves upon the heart of John to write the gospel of John and to give his own eyewitness account. And John will do so in a very different way. He's not so much concerned about the chronological aspect of the life of Christ and following the exact timeline of the synoptic gospels. He's interested in one particular thing, And I would tell you that you're going to hear this phrase repeatedly in the course of this message. I only have one point today. You say, Pastor, most of your messages only have one point. That's not true. That's not true. You know better than that. Uh, Only has one point today. Listen, it's going to be on the screens. In John chapter 20, verse 31, I want you to listen to what he has to say. John says, this is the reason why God moved me to write this gospel. But these are written... What he's put in this gospel, these are written that you may believe. He wants you to believe. Can I just come to you today and tell you that he wants you to believe? All of you who are watching, he wants you to believe. What does he want you to believe? He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the sent one. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. He is the fulfillment of all the types and all of the forms that are found in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that the Jews were waiting on and looking for, though they didn't recognize him, though they didn't receive him, he was the one that they were waiting for. He is the Christ. But more than that, he wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants you to know that Jesus is no mere man, that Jesus isn't like the rest of us. He was born. Through the womb of Mary, he had a physical body. He had blood coursing through his body. He had all the muscles and sinews of the body like you and I have. But he didn't have a human father, and he didn't have a sin nature. And Jesus was God come to man. God come in the form of man to live amongst us and do for us only what God can do. What none of us can do, only God can do. And Jesus is God in the flesh. I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, here's the second part, and that believing you may have life in his name. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I I want you to have life. I want you to have life everlasting. I want you to have life evermore. I want you to have life abundant. And it comes through believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And John says, that's the reason God inspired me to sit down and to write this gospel that we now have as the fourth gospel in our Bibles. Now, what John does in order to drive home this point is John begins piling up the evidence He begins bringing together all of the witnesses. He begins putting together all of the records, and he begins showing what in this gospel, what he wants them to see, what he wants them to understand, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants them to see it, and to do that, he brings all of this evidence. Actually, the word witness that you're going to see over and over here, or testified, or testimony, it's all the translation of the same Greek word, it's found 47 times in the Gospel of John. See, how do you know that, Pastor? Because I meticulously went through and found every one of them and marked them in my Bible. That's how I know there's 47 of them. 47 times he says i'm bringing testimony i'm bringing witnesses i'm bringing those that are going to tell you this story i'm bringing all of this to account on behalf of jesus because i want you to believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and in believing that you have life eternal you have life everlasting you have life abundant so let me come and let me present the evidence john says go back with me if you will to john chapter 5 for a moment and I'll show you what I'm talking about. John calls some witnesses. All of those of you that love the legal aspects of society, this is a legal term, to be a witness, to testify, testimony. It's what you think of as calling witnesses, to give testimony to some particular truth. And Just to illustrate what he's doing, look at verse 33 of John chapter 5. You have sent to John, that's John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. And so the first witness comes forward, and his name is John the Baptist, and he testifies to this truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 36, he calls another witness. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, the works that he's done. Uh, There's seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John. I don't have time to take you to those seven miracles. I hope when you read through the Gospel, you'll mark them as you go through and take note of them. Oftentimes, they're identified as signs, S-I-G-N-S, signs. It's the word for miracles. In other words, it's like running up a flag and saying, look here, pay attention here. This miracle is evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. No mere man could have done this. No medicine could have done this. No magician could have done this. Only the man of God, only the son of God could have done this kind of work. And he calls the miracles of Christ, seven of them, to give testimony on behalf of Christ. You notice verse 37, he calls another witness. And the father himself who sent me has testified of me. The father testified. The father testified. Did you know three times that God the father speaks From heaven on behalf of his son, once at the baptism, once at the transfiguration, and once in John chapter 12, just before Jesus goes into the upper room where he'll have the Last Supper with the disciples and ultimately go out to be arrested and to be crucified and to be resurrected. And the Father speaks in testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He moves down in verse 39 you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these, the scriptures are they which testify of me. Even the Bible testifies of the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Go back to the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament prophecies, they're fulfilled in the person of Jesus. All of the Old Testament types and symbols and forms are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so John is calling these witnesses forward. He's stacking up the evidence. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you have life, eternal life, everlasting and life abundant. He continues this argument. Look over at chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8 and look at verse 14. Chapter 8 and verse 14. Jesus himself comes to the stand to testify on his own behalf. You know, if you were in a criminal case, you wouldn't necessarily have the defendant step into the witness box to testify on his own behalf, but Jesus is not a criminal. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself. My witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And so Jesus comes forward as a witness. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, and you got to keep your Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, just listen carefully, and I'll read these scriptures to you. But if you've got it, you want to find them. Chapter 15, verse 26, John is calling He's calling forward the witnesses. I want you to come testify that Jesus is the Christ He is the Son of God. And in believing in Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Son of God, you have life, life everlasting, life eternal. He says the Holy Spirit, verse 26 of chapter 15, but when the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, whom whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Hey, did you know what the Holy Spirit does in the world? Well, right now he's doing something specific. He, he's convicting people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. He's convincing people where I can't convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I can bring the evidence to you and I can show you the evidence, but it's got to be the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes to see it. But do you realize that the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. He always points people to Jesus. He never talks about himself. People that sing songs about the Holy Spirit as if he's the center of attention, that's not biblical. The songs that we sing about the Holy Spirit should always be about the Holy Spirit pointing us to his son, the Lord Jesus, because the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. But then he says in verse 27, He says, and you also, talking about the disciples, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Do you get what he's doing? John says, listen, here's the reason why I wrote. I want you to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing that you might have life eternal and life everlasting and life abundant, if you'll just believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he starts calling forward witnesses, witnesses start coming forward one after another to testify to the deity of Jesus Christ. But he does something else as well. Not only does he bring forward the witnesses, not only does he add these miracles that are in here that no man could accomplish on their own, but in fact, he does something else in addition. Look at John chapter 8. In the Gospel of John, you find seven statements about Jesus. They're they're, they're the I am statements about Jesus. For instance, let let me go back here and read a couple of them to you. Uh, He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine, so forth and so on. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Somebody says, why in the world did Jesus say that he is, I am, all of these things? Well, look at it. John chapter 8, verse 59, Jesus said to them, 58, excuse me, John 58, John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What in the world are you saying, Jesus? Do you understand what he's telling? You know, I hear every once in a while somebody that's religious and thinks they know a whole lot and they got a whole lot of Bible knowledge. And they say, Jesus never claimed to be God in the New Testament. You just mark it down. That's total, absolute ignorance of the Bible. Total, absolute ignorance of the Bible. Here is one of the evidences that Jesus claimed to be God. He said, I am. That's me. I am. Do you realize the significance of that? I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am the door. You realize what he's saying when he says, I am? It takes you all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, Moses says, well, who am I going to tell Pharaoh sent me? And God the Father comes to Moses and said, you tell him I am sent you. Not the I was or the I will be, the eternally present I am. In essence, he was Jehovah. He is Jehovah. He was saying, tell him God sent me. God sent you, and Jesus picks that up, and Jesus says, I am. You know why? Because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, and in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you have life in him. You have life everlasting. You have life eternal, and so he brings these witnesses forward, several witnesses forward. He brings these miracles forward and said, "Look, no man could do this, only God can do these." He brings forward the I AM statements of Jesus and said, "Look, Jesus is the I AM. Jesus is God. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God." Turn with me back to John chapter 1 for a moment. He does something that the other gospel writers don't do. He doesn't trace Adam's, excuse me, uh, Jesus lineage back to Adam. He doesn't trace Jesus lineage back to Abraham. He traces Jesus lineage all the way back to before there was anything because Jesus doesn't have a beginning. Notice what he says John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Where was the word? That's Jesus by the way, the Logos, that's the word. The word was with God and the word, what do you say the next phrase? Was God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. Did you know that before there was anything, Jesus already existed and has always existed? Look down to verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, he's, he's stacking up the evidence. you get what he's doing? He's bringing all the blood evidence. He's bringing all the DNA evidence. He's got all the dental record evidence. He's got all the fingerprint uh, evidence. He's bringing it to the court to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He calls people to testify on behalf of Jesus. He looks at the miracles, and only God could have worked those miracles. He looks at the I am statements, and only God can claim to be the I am. He's the only one who existed before there was anything. Nothing came into existence apart from Jesus Christ because Jesus has always existed because he is God. Do you see it? But then he keeps on calling these witnesses. In John chapter 1, notice it. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a great statement. By the way, I have to stop here and just show you something. It's not part of the message. The first service didn't get it, and the third service might not either. But do you notice in verse 7 of chapter 1? This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Jesus is the light. We can notice verse 23. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make stray the way of the Lord. He's not only the light, he's the Lord. But then, if you'll notice verse 29, the next day Jesus came, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He is the light. He is the Lord. He is the Lamb. John says, I see him coming, and what does John say about him? Verse 34, John the Baptist, and I have seen, here's our word, and testified that this is the Son of God. What does John want you to do? He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God, and that believing you'll have life, everlasting life, eternal, life abundant. But you got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and here comes the evidence, one after another. All of this stacking up on top of each other. It's all in the court report. It's all the, the court reporters putting it all in the record. It's all in the gospel. He goes on to Nathaniel, look at chapter 1, verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus earlier has seen Nathanael. Nathanael can't figure out how Jesus already knows him. How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Ah, the omniscient one. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. And Nathanael comes forward to say, this is the Christ, the son of God. Look at chapter 6, verse 69. Chapter 6, verse 69. There's a great crowd of people that are following Jesus. These are in addition to the original 12 that are with him. A great crowd of people that are following Jesus. They're even called disciples of Jesus. But Jesus says something really hard. and They don't like what Jesus said. And they react to it. And notice what happens, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples. That's not the 12. That's this large body of people. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. But I want you to notice, he goes on, then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that. Here we go. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hey, he's got all these witnesses coming forward. He's got the miracles. He's got the I Am statements He was here before anything existed. He didn't start in Mary's womb, born into this world. He existed before there was even a world. Then John the Baptist says, he's the son of God. And Nathanael says, he's the son of God. And Peter says, Peter says, he's the son of God. Notice chapter 9. Turn over to chapter 9, John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, we're introduced to a man who's born blind. He was born with this challenge in his life, unable to see. Jesus meets him one day, and Jesus does the miraculous. Here's one of his miracles. Mark it. One of his miracles that proves that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He takes some spittle and some dirt, and he rubs it on his eyes, and this man's eyes are are made new. He's suddenly able to see, well, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, don't like this at all, not one bit. This brings attention away from them and gives attention to Jesus. This brings glory away from them and gives glory to Jesus. They don't like this one little bit. They want this man to recant and say that it wasn't Jesus that healed him. Actually, this man doesn't even know that this is Jesus. He doesn't understand all there is to understand about Jesus yet. But because he won't recant, you know what they do? They put him out of the synagogue. Sort of a nice thing to do, don't you think? Here's a man his whole life has had to sit begging because he wasn't able to see, wasn't able to take care of himself. He had to have others take care of him. And suddenly he finds himself able to see, and what do you do with him? You kick him out of the synagogue. What does Jesus do? Notice verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Now listen, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. In essence, he says, I'm right here in front of you. Then now listen to what he says. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the son of God, right? He believed that Jesus was the Christ, uh, the son of God. We turn over to chapter 10 quickly? Over to chapter 10. Notice if you will. Jesus now gives testimony to himself. We've got Peter. We've got this blind man. We've got Nathaniel. We've got John the Baptist. Even Jesus gives testimony. Verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the world came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. Even Jesus says it about himself. I am the son of God. Will you turn over to chapter 20 one more time? Come on, come on, go with me. Chapter 20, can you keep up? If you've got an electronic Bible, you're already lost. <laughs> chapter 20, n- notice what happens. It's the Sunday after resurrection. Jesus was resurrected the Sunday before. He meets with the disciples. They all see him. All of them except for one. His name was Thomas. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe this unless I can touch the wounds in his hand and I can put my hand where they, in his side where they push that spear into his side. I won't believe that he's resurrected. And the following Sunday night, Jesus appears in the midst of the disciples and Thomas was there. By the way, when you miss church, you miss often what Jesus is going to do for you and wants to do for you. Thomas missed that first Sunday night service. Now he's a Sunday night later. And I want you to notice what happens Beginning in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, "Uh uh-oh, here it is. Here's the testimony. My Lord and my God. Now we got Peter, we got a blind man, we got Nathaniel, we got John the Baptist, Jesus himself, we've got Thomas. They're all saying exactly what John wants you to believe: that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you have life everlasting, life eternal. Before I show you one last one, I have to take you to one that's outside of the book of John. You don't even need to turn there, just write it down. Romans chapter 1 verses three and four. Listen to it just as I read it to you. Listen to it. Concerning his son, Paul writes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now listen, here we are. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Do you realize that the greatest Declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is his resurrection from the dead. He's not in the grave. He's alive. Amen. And so John just keeps adding on all of this information, just trying to convince people, trying to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But the last place I want you to go to is John chapter 11. And we're not going to look at all 45 verses. Some of you are looking really nervous at this moment. John chapter 11, Jesus comes to the city of Bethany. His friend Lazarus has died. He's been in the grave for four days. Four days he's been in the grave. The stone has already been rolled in front of the mouth of the tomb. He's already been wrapped in the grave clothes and put inside the grave. And Jesus comes to the city of Bethany before he even gets all the way into the city, Martha comes out to Jesus. And Martha says, Jesus, if you'd only been here, we know your power. We know your your miracle working power. We know you can do the impossible. If you'd only been here, if you'd only been here, you could have saved our brother. You could have saved our brother. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, your brother will rise. Your brother's going to rise. Martha says, Jesus, I know there's a future day when there's going to be a resurrection of all of those believers. I realize that there's going to be a future day of resurrection. Martha knew from the Old Testament that there was a testimony about the resurrection of the bodies of believers from the grave. She knew that. The Old Testament talks about the resurrection not as clearly as the New Testament, but it talks about the resurrection in the Old Testament, and she knew there was to be a resurrection... She said, if you should have been here, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother's going to rise. She says, I know, I know in the future day, he's going to rise. And then Jesus says to her in verse 25, Jesus said to her, "You, you don't get it, Martha. You haven't gotten it yet. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you understand what he's saying? He's telling us and telling Martha Resurrection Day is more than just a day called Easter that we celebrate once a year. That resurrection is that, but the resurrection is Jesus. Nobody took the life of Jesus. Jesus gave up his life on the cross of Calvary. And the power of God is what raised up Jesus. And Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. He is God. The power of resurrection is in him. And he looks at her and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes, that would be Lazarus, or any of you, or any of your loved ones who have died knowing the Lord. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He says there's a resurrection day, absolutely. But what he's telling Martha is there's a resurrection in just a few minutes. He's going to go down to the graveside He's going to have them move the stone from the mouth of the tomb. He's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly Lazarus is standing there all wrapped in the grave clothes. Not very becoming, right? Unwrap him. Let him go. And Lazarus becomes a spectacle. (laughs) A little bit later in this chapter, people come to the house of Lazarus. Mary and Martha Come to their house. He said, two sisters and a brother. Come to the house. They, they got to see him. He, he was dead. He was dead four days ago. He was, dead. he was dead. We saw him. They wrapped him up. They put him in the tomb. He, he stunk. Oh, he's in the grave. He's inside. I got I to see this. I got to look inside the window. I got to see this one who was dead just a few days ago. I got good news for every one of you who've got a loved one that's in the grave. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And one day, Jesus, just like he called Lazarus out of the grave, he'll call our loved ones out of the grave. But now listen carefully. And I finish up, verse 26. Jesus doesn't end there. He says, and whoever lives, in other words, what he's about to tell you to do, you can't do after you die. You got to do it while you live. And whoever lives and believes in me, believes what? That he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, he that Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh, wait a minute, preacher. Everybody gets out of this world through the physical death. That's not what he's talking about. He's telling you that when you die, you don't stop living. You go on living in the presence of Jesus Christ to be absent from the body. 2 Corinthians 5 is to be present with the Lord. And then he says, the most important question, the question I'm about to ask you at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? Oh, wait a minute. I got to tell you one more thing. When he says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's one of the greatest statements, shall never die about eternal security. You'll find in the new Testament. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you shall never die. That's not a question. That's a fact. You believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. In believing, you will have life everlasting and life abundant and life eternal. And because you live and believe, you will never die. One of the greatest statements about eternal security. But then he says to Martha, do you believe this? So, I've been rushing through the evidence. I wish I had an hour. There's a whole lot more that I'd like to show you. Are you in overload yet? I've brought some of the witnesses forward. The scriptures have testified to Jesus. The miracles have testified to Jesus. The I am statements have testified to Jesus. I've shown you what Peter had to say and Nathaniel had to say and John the Baptist had to say and what the blind man had to say and what the disciples had to say. I've shown you what Martha is about. I'm about to tell you what Martha is going to say. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Hey, here's my job today. My job isn't to make you believe. My job is to bring, the, to bring the evidence before you in a convincing way so that you have to make that decision. You can disbelieve if you wish. As a 16-year-old boy, I saw some of the evidence. I didn't know it all as I know now. I saw some of the evidence, and I believed in Jesus, and I would never turn back Not for a moment. By the way, do you think 11 men, excluding Judas, 10 men, excluding John, do you think 10 men who believed a lie would be willing to die as martyrs for somebody who didn't rise from the grave, and somebody who wasn't the Christ, the son of the living God? Do you think 10 men would be willing to give up their lives and their families for a lie? Martha, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. What do you believe, Martha? That you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Do you get it? John writes this gospel with all of this overwhelming evidence to bring it before you, to stack it up in your presence, to put it in the court record, to make sure everybody could read it for themselves. I want you to recognize that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God you'll believe in him, if you'll believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world, you will have life. If you die physically, there'll be a resurrection. And if you die physically, you'll go into the very presence of God, your soul and spirit, into the very presence of God, you'll live forever with him until the resurrection. But you've got to believe. So let me ask you, you don't have to believe. It's okay. I understand. I have a lot of people that don't believe. I talk to, they don't believe. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to wrestle with the evidence. Right? Right? You've got to wrestle with the evidence for yourself. Listen to what John says. John chapter 20. If I can find my place. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have uh, have believed. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's why God gave you the gospels. You're not there you physically aren't in the presence of Jesus. You couldn't walk with him along the pathway. But you got the record of the eyewitnesses who were there. Now the question is, will you believe?